people for those who don't know who I am, because there's some faces in here that I don't recognize, maybe one. Um, anyway, I'll be talking today about restoration. Um, so I guess I'll start by praying. <laughs> um, okay, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Um, I pray that you bless everyone in this room. And I pray that um, you put your words in my mouth, Lord, and every heart that you want to touch um, will be open to receive anything you have to say. Um, and yeah, just let your grace be upon everyone. Amen. Amen. Okay, without further ado, I'll just get into it. Um, okay, so I'll be talking about restoration today, or how I sort of interpret it, or what my own experience of that has been in my life. Um, so I definitely believe restoration is a biblical principle and happening, um, which is seen in many stories and characters throughout the Bible. Uh, such as Job, Joseph, Elijah, King David, Peter, Paul, and a bunch of other people. Um, so I googled what restoration was by definition, um, just so I can have something to sort of frame it as well. Um, so it's the act of restoring or the condition of being restored, such as the bringing back to a former position or condition, um, or restoring to an unimpaired or improved condition. So basically, returning something to what it originally was or how it's supposed to be. Um, so restoration is something that we, as Christians, should be experiencing literally every day. Um, in the Bible, there are many examples of restoration, such as physical restoration of health, uh, wealth, livelihood, or status, um, but also of a more subtle kind, um, the restoring of our inner beings from fear, loss, doubt, depression, bitterness, sadness, anger, hopelessness, etc. So if you, were look at, if you were to look at your life today, could you think of one area in which you need to work on? Um, and if we're honest folk, I'm sure that we'd be able to admit to more than just one. Um, it's important that when we acknowledge that area, we try to not just see the surface of it, um, but really dig deep into that hole and try to find the root cause of the feeling or behavior that we're sort of going through. Um, because there are always two realities or parallels in our lives, the truth and the lie. Satan's whisper versus God's word. Uh, we're either walking in one or the other. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, basically, as we go through life, we're always being led in one direction or another. Um, like, there are always two voices in our heads, um, the little angel on one shoulder or the little demon on the other. But the only way to discern which is who is to know who God is and his word in order to reveal to us the voice that is actually in opposition to that. But this is really quite difficult. Um, how do you know if God's voice or his guidance is actually in your life? God tells us that you will know those that are walking with him and being sanctified and restored by their fruit and if they are obeying his will. So I believe that according to scripture, restoration occurs as we walk with God, being sanctified, refining our character and becoming more like Christ, which is the ultimate goal for every Christian. So when you invite God into your circumstances, into your situation, he'll improve it, alter it and fix it. Because that's something only God can do. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus quotes this exact passage in the Gospel of Luke as well. I believe this is the purpose of Jesus Christ, to save the lost, heal the broken and wounded, and free us from the captivity of sin, which makes all of us his target audience and means that we can only receive this through Jesus Christ himself. I want to share one example of God's restoration in my own life. Uh, now, since I've met God, I've actually experienced it in a lot of different areas, but today I'm going to talk about an area that I've been dealing through for the past six months, um, and to be honest, still kind of am. The fear of working. Um, so I graduated uni about three years ago, this 
mid-year um, with a science degree. I was doing science and teaching, but I kind of dropped teaching because I didn't really like it. Um, and then after that, I sort of worked for a bit, travelled for a bit, studied abroad. And here I am now, kind of looking for work or at the point where I should be settling down. Um, a lot of you with Arab parents know that it's kind of not really done for you to not really be working and sort of working towards something already, like at school, uh, uni, work, stuff like that, you settle down. Um, but for me, this is something that I've really struggled with. Um, so when I first started praying for this, I thought the biggest barrier to me working and having a career was simply just myself. Um, that I just wasn't interested in any particular field and that I wasn't ambitious or passionate enough to actually pursue anything. I thought my fear was more of a lack of desire and therefore I had to figure out if it was just how God made me. Um, and I believe some of my outlook towards work is partly due to personality um, or if there were actually other barriers. And lo and behold, there were. Um, at first my prayer was like this. God, if there is something blocking me from being able to work or that is making me believe that I actually don't want to, um, then please show me because I can't really tell what's going on inside of me. It sounds kind of silly, but prayer doesn't have to be done on ceremony. Just be honest with God and ask him for help. I prayed like this for a while, and every time I applied for a job, my heart wasn't really in it, and I still felt either not interested in it or afraid to accept if an interview offer actually came my way. Um, I think when I started to realise that while being dispassionate may not be ideal, um, the biggest issue was definitely my fear. Every offer for an interview that I did receive, I talked myself out of it by telling myself I don't actually want the job anyway, or I don't want to work full time right now, or okay, next time I'll at least go to the interview and see what happens there. But something more sinister and insidious was lurking beneath this, and I started to understand that my fear was very multi-layered and ran very, very deep. There was the fear of going into a career, fear of trying something new, fear of the unknown, fear of failing, fear of trying, fear of being rejected, fear of having responsibility, fear that I wasn't good enough. The list goes on. Let's just say I didn't realise how many forms fear could take and how much of it I could feel just from one single provocation, such as working. As each aspect of my fear was revealed to me, I kept crying out to God to save me from the fear and the hold it had over me because it was almost physically debilitating. It was not something I could simply ignore or deal with later. I genuinely felt actual terror at the thought of working every single time. And I believe it was actually God answering my prayers and restoring me. He was not only showing me the roots of my fears, but where they came from and for how long I've actually been carrying them. Um, often I'd be praying about it and he would show me a memory from different points in my life, um, a lot of them in high school and university, where I had been lied to by Satan to believe um, like a false reality that's real than what the real one was, because that's what Satan actually does. Um, he whispers into our ears all of these lies of criticisms, embarrassment, insecurities, anything, and we just believe it because we don't have God's word and faith as a protective barrier um, against it. And so they had become a stronghold in my life that was bubbling up to the surface in an almost overwhelming rush to the thought of working. One example of this kind of memory that I had um, that contributed to a fear, especially of trying and failing, um, was when I was in year eight, I sang in a school talent show, and I practiced for ages um, leading up to it. I actually sang the song from Anastasia, uh, which is in the ballroom, I don't know, dancing. What's it called? Yeah, thank you. That one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I sang that, um, and I had practiced for ages leading up to it, and I was so terrified of singing in front of people. Like, I was the shyest person ever. But somehow I put myself out there and I actually performed. But I didn't win. 
And I remember thinking as I looked out over the crowd that they must be laughing at me, thinking what a failure I am. And me, feeling that even though I try and do my best and take a risk, in the end, it's not actually worth it because I failed by not winning. As if not winning equaled me being untalented or incapable because I wasn't validated through victory. I felt so embarrassed and ashamed of myself and I believed um, that from now on it's better to not try at all because if I didn't try then I couldn't fail and that way I couldn't regret anything or blame myself if I did end up not doing very well. Um, and, I need, and you know since that point if I look back in my life I remember over and over again having that same thought pop into my head whenever I believe something to be too difficult or too scary to attempt. Like literally all throughout VCE, um, any exams I did in school or uni um, at one point, I wanted to pursue makeup artistry, but I was also too scared to do that. Um, those are more like larger scale ones that I remember, um, but there were definitely a bunch more on like smaller scales. But God showed me that all of these things that I thought and believed, um, that I thought and believed, she was saying in my heart, Rachel, no one was actually laughing at you. In fact, many people thought that you should have won. Many people were sitting there thinking, wow, her voice is amazing, and that in his eyes I had done so well. I hadn't failed at all, and winning or losing was not how God measures my worth or success. And at this realization, the truth of God was poured into my heart. I chose to believe God with faith over the lies I previously believed, which caused this particular fear to be broken off with me completely. So that when I thought of work again, that particular fear was no longer there. It had been erased. So for the past six months, this cycle has been repeating itself. Every time I went to apply for a job, a new fear would pop up. I prayed to God to show me the truth in his word and the memory and pray for healing from the fear until I received it. Eventually I was able to go to an interview and I was so happy that it actually had such a tangible breakthrough that I didn't even care that I didn't actually get the job. Crying out to God and receiving freedom and healing from strongholds, allowing us to be restored, is such a joyous and empowering thing. But you see, I was only really able to discern this through my relationship with God, because I knew that God is a God who gives peace, joy and sound mind, and not fear and pain and rejection. So through my understanding of who God was, I had the responsibility to rebuke these lies and also pray for freedom from the fear and rejection and insecurity that had become such strongholds over my life. As mentioned in Isaiah 61 verse 1, where it talks about binding up the brokenhearted, God is talking about our wounds, trauma, fear, strongholds, and all the lies of Satan, which really is what is the cause of it all in the first place. <coughs> they bind us up and blind us until we can't see the light of God's truth anymore and are unable to live in freedom. John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, eternal life, and have it more abundantly or to the full, which is peace. Satan's word breeds fear, destruction, and death. He steals our peace and joy so we are walking in darkness. It may sound kind of dramatic, but just think of the little things in your life that trigger you. The things that make you afraid, angry, insecure, anxious, hurt, depressed. All of these things are dealt with in Christ. But God's truth will set you free and restore you back to physical, mental, spiritual and emotional health so you can walk with God in peace and hope and faith continually. The Bible says in Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7, Be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your requests to the Lord and the peace of Christ which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. All we have to do is look at God and we can walk on water. We can do things we are literally not capable of doing on our own. But as soon as we look at the water or our situation and we lose faith, we start to drown. You cannot be restored and healed and empowered to face your trials without God. I was attacked by so much fear because I wasn't grabbing God and trusting him, but rather looking at my own capacity and fearing man and man's opinion of me. 
And that's the sucky, sucky thing about our human nature, is that we're always falling by doubting God when he's never actually done anything to make us think he can't help us. But we have to go to him first. We have to ask him to intervene, to change us, to save us, to humble us, because we're not capable of anything on our own. The irony is that to have a life God wants for us, we have to actually go to him to get it. And sometimes his way or his will may seem unconventional, impossible, or even crazy. But the point is that when you believe God, when he says you can do it, you know that it's him that will do it through you anyway. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and nothing is impossible with Christ. If the Bible says so, that means it's true. But if you're not living with that truth, then you believe a lie. Your only task is to believe him, and oftentimes this can be quite Herculean in difficulty. So even as I was preparing for this most recent job interview, I kept saying to God, if it is your will I get this job, then I trust that I'll get it, and I'll have the capacity to face it. But if I don't get the job, then that's fine. Because my desire is not for the job itself, but for your will to be achieved either way. And I didn't get the job. But I know my prayer was answered because I only feel peace in my heart as a result. God-given peace. And I learned and overcame so much in this process that I truly believe that when you seek God's will, there is a purpose in everything you do because God is guiding the situation at every step of the way and increasing your faith and peace as you go. For we must have intimacy with God to discern his hand upon our life and to trust that he is hearing our prayers and guiding us. If you never bring God into the equation, or you bring forth your requests and prayers with an agenda already, how do you think God can guide you? How can he restore you? The first step to restoration is humility and repentance. The first thing I did when I realized that I kept grabbing my fear was ask God to forgive me for my lack of faith, for doubting him, for not trusting him, at his word that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for hope and a future. One thing we often forget or fail to realize is that God's word is literally truth and life. So if God's word says something, it is absolute and powerful to do what it says when you believe it. And if, that, if it does not happen, even though God said it would, it's because of our lack of faith, not because of God. You know you have genuine faith when the outcome happens according to God's word, not just by saying, I believe, I believe, but then nothing actually happens. It's a substantial faith that brings God's word to power. If you declare the truth of God's word in your circumstances, it has real power to reverse, change, and alter them. It rebuffs the enemy's advances. It destroys his arrows because when you put on the armor of God, it's like you're literally a soldier in the spirit and he can't get to you because you're protected. Sometimes when I'm feeling afraid or anxious, I declare the Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7 over and over again, fighting the fear with the word of God until I feel the fear subside and my peace is restored. Because God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, Satan does. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. So I accept it. The Bible says we have to rebuke it. So you have to take up the responsibility to actually fight with the word of God. So in order to be restored, we must know the word and it must be in us. In our thoughts, heart, and mouth, we must meditate on God's word. And it's not a laborious task. It's like honey in your mouth. Because when you're in love with God, his word is tasting, tasty and sustaining and you crave it. Because the Holy Spirit inside of you gives you that desire because he desires it. I even pray to God regularly. Let me desire and crave your words so that I can read it. Let it taste like honey on my lips. And I find that I'm always able to read it so much more fully when I do. It's okay to ask that. God knows it can be hard. But the point isn't to do it in a suffering through it sort of way, but to ask God to give you the desire for it, to give you time in your day for it. <clears throat> Prayer is powerful and God loves it when we include him like this because not only is he more than capable of help helping, he wants to, bizarrely enough. But we have to come to God first because God never forces us to do anything, nor will he force himself upon us. 
He desires our willingness to seek him and our desire and need for him in our lives. I find that as soon as I try to do something on my own, I lose that peace and joy I have compared to when I do something with God. And I just end up regretting I ever tried to do it without him in the first place. So we have to come to him and humble ourselves, acknowledging that we need him and asking him to help us until he actually does. Oftentimes we give up past halfway because we lose faith and start to doubt that God is even hearing our prayers. But the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing because some things require more prayer than others to be fulfilled in our lives. But I knew God was hearing my prayers and that increased my faith every time and gave me the strength to continue praying because I knew he was listening. In Mark 11 verse 24 it says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So we need to be humble, willing and have faith in order for restoration to occur in our lives. God has been restoring me from the brokenness and helplessness that fear has rendered in me and has been purging it continually for the past several months and replacing it with his life and truth in those spaces. Now I believe that I am capable of working. I am competent and smart and just as solid of a contender as the next guy. I don't feel unworthy or afraid that I will fail. I feel <coughs> confident and courageous and capable. Picture yourself as a gunshot wound victim that's been shot through with innumerable bullets, but the holes have not been repaired. Instead, they become festering, rotting pieces of flesh all over your body. Really look at your life and find those areas. Perhaps it's fear or anger or hurt or sadness or bitterness or any number of other things. Oftentimes, we may not even be aware of how much baggage we're carrying until God, through his mercy, will allow us to confront it and lay it before him. I had absolutely no idea how deep my fear ran until I actually started dealing with it. I feel like a great example of inner restoration and healing is Joseph. Joseph is a beautiful example of how knowing God's truth and his will versus looking to your circumstances has the ability to free you and protect you from the lies of the enemy. He was sold off by his brothers because they hated him, then thrown into prison because of a false accusation because Samchik couldn't accept the word no, and was forgotten in prison after helping him grow out. But continually through this story, even though his circumstances suck, we see it written that God was with him and gave him favour, or that God loved Joseph and was with him. But don't you think it's kind of weird for God to be supposedly with him and yet all these sucky things keep happening to him, one after another, through no apparent fault of his own? The Bible doesn't say that we won't suffer as Christian, but there is a difference in suffering with God by your side, like Paul when he's imprisoned in Rome for many years but still having his friends come and go um, and is living in a pretty nice place, versus suffering without God, like the Israelites every time they reject God's law and end up severely oppressed by their enemies. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 3 to 5, But we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Because God... And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We should be glorying in our trials. That's what God is saying because we have this assurance as the outcome. And I saw that in myself because I knew God was helping me face the fear and that he was restoring me from it so that I could move forward in my life. I was not going through the struggle of overcoming it without hope. I knew God was bringing me through it and out the other side. And he did. Same with Joseph. We don't presume to know why he had to suffer the way he did, but we can assume God was working on his character through it, refining it and maturing him, growing his faith, and preparing him to assist in delivering the Israelites, among others, from the severe famine that swept the land. Later on we see that when Joseph is made ruler over all Egypt, and he reveals himself to his brothers, that he was not angry with them. In fact, he showed them kindness and forgave them. How is that even possible? In Genesis 50 verse 15 to 21, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent words to Joseph, saying, 
Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. Because Joseph knew why all of these things had happened to him. God had shown him why this was happening and what for, and so he was not bitter or angry any longer. He knew that even in his suffering, God was with him. That God intended all the evil that happened to him to be used for good and towards a greater purpose. And so he was freed from bitterness and resentment and hatred because he was able to forgive those he should have hated the most in the world. He never once sinned against God through accusing him by saying to God, God, how could you do this to me? How could you let me go through all of this? Because he had the peace and assurance of Christ with him through it, so the enemy did not lead him into sin. It's like Elijah, who upon learning the truth that he wasn't the only good one left, and in fact God had reserved a remnant in Israel who was still faithful to him, was able to go out and continue doing God's work. The truth restored him from the lie that had been, been fed to him by Satan. Or Jesus himself, who, when tempted in the wilderness, was able to rebuff the word of Satan with the word of God, protecting him from falling away. This is what we are to do in our own lives. We too, when in a difficult situation, are not supposed to let it overcome us and turn us depressed, angry or afraid, but are supposed to fight the lie with the truth that has no control over us in the first place. Because let's say that all this time God was saying, Rachel, you need to be working right now. But I'm so terrified that I believe I can't, then if I don't bring this fear to God, then it just instead choose to say, well, look, God, I can't do what you're asking me to do because I'm too scared and I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. I'll end up in disobedience. This is why we need to humble ourselves before God and seek to be restored so that we can step into what God has planned for us. Like Joseph, who saved the land from being destroyed by famine because he endured the trials set before him, knowing what it led to. So basically, for restoration to occur in our lives, we must identify the area or areas we're struggling in. Be humble and repent for believing a lie or anything that's against God's word. Have intimacy with God and know his word in our hearts and minds and have faith that God will actually heal and restore us. This is what Jesus died on the cross for, to free us from sin and brokenness and lies so we are walking in joy and hope and peace even when we suffer. We're no longer bound and condemned by the enemy but freed from our bondages and pain. Matthew 23, verse 35. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's word is more lasting and concrete and real than the earth itself. If you believe that, if you walk in that, you can be restored in your current circumstances and those from the past that Satan has caused in your life.